Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Keep shining for Jesus, displaying and proclaiming our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. Today, we're focused on the teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthew, where He taught His followers to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It might be tempting to construct our own Christian bubble or easier to blend into the culture, but neither is the teaching of Jesus. So what should we do? Let's join Pastor John Monroe for today's lesson titled, Salt and Light. How are followers of Jesus to respond to an evil world? We've been learning about the characteristics and attitudes of those who follow Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. But how can we live in a culture which is hostile to the teaching of Jesus? Today, Jesus gives a challenge to his followers to be salt and light. What does that mean? I confess it's sometimes easier to retreat from the world rather than to engage the world. And it's certainly easier just to blend into our surrounding culture so that there is little difference between followers of Jesus and unbelievers. But this is not what Jesus intends. Today, we'll hear Jesus explain the perfect balance, salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let's continue in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is teaching His followers how to live in the kingdom of heaven. And we have been learning over the weeks what that means. For example, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, according to Matthew chapter 5 and the first 12 verses, we are to be poor in spirit. We are to mourn for our sins. We are to be meek. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're to be merciful. We're to be pure in heart. We are to be peacemakers. We are to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. So Jesus first sets out the character and the values of those who are following him, of those who are part of the kingdom of heaven. But in our passage this morning, Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, Jesus now sets out how we are to relate to the unbelieving world. We are part of the kingdom of heaven, but how are we to relate to those who are outside of the kingdom of heaven? So we're going to, I'm going to read and ask you at home to join me as we read Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. So there you are at home. Can you read this with me? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of life in the kingdom. 
Now, as we look at these verses, and as we think of the Sermon on the Mount, it is clear that followers of Jesus are in the kingdom of heaven, but we're also in the world. We're part of the kingdom, but we're also living in the world. Uh, Jesus has said, for example, in verse 3 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. And again in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul in Philippians 3 uh, verse 20 writes this, But our citizenship is in heaven. Now he's writing to people who are living in Philippi, uh, who are citizens of Rome. But he's saying your citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think of the Sermon on the Mount, and as we think of what it means to be salt and light, we need to understand that we who are followers of Jesus are not to be of the world, but Christ sends us into the world. Listen to his teaching in John chapter 15, where this is made very, very clear, that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're not to be characterized by the things of the world, although we are in the world. John 15 then, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Very, very clear then, Jesus is saying to his followers that they're not of the world. They're part of the kingdom. And so the characteristics of the unbelieving world are not to be part of those who are following Jesus. And then in John chapter 17, John 17 verse 14, he is praying to his father in what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I have given them, his disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now notice verse 18 of John 17. Very, very important. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God the Father sends his Son into the world. And now Jesus is saying, just as my Father sent me into the world, so I, your Savior, King Jesus, am sending you, my disciples, into the world. So this means that as followers of Jesus, we are in the world, we are sent into the world, but we're not of the world. We're not to be of the world because the world is opposed to the kingdom of heaven. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And we who have been saved by the grace of God, who have experienced the God who is light through faith in Jesus Christ, we are living in the world, but we are not to be part 
of the kingdom of darkness. That is, our values, our ambitions, our desires, our priorities are not to be of this world. We were singing in that song, All for Jesus, that true freedom is being in the will of God, is doing what Jesus tells us, King Jesus, rather than following our own ideas, our own ambitions, our own desires, our own priorities. Paul reminds us that the devil himself is the God of this world. So James writes, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? The Apostle John writes in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're from the world, says John, but not from the Father. So these are the things which characterize the world. Now this does present a problem to us. So followers of Jesus are in two worlds. We're in the kingdom of light, but we are sent into the kingdom of darkness. And these two kingdoms are diametrically opposed. I'm not to be of the world, I'm not to love the world, I'm not to be characterized by the things of the world, I'm part of the kingdom of heaven. But as I follow Jesus Christ, he is now sending me into the world to be and make authentic followers of Jesus. As the Father sends the Son into the world, so the Son sends us into the world. And in fact, at the very last words of Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 28, before our Lord Jesus ascends and returns to his Father, he commissions his disciples. And what does he say to them? Go, that is go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. Not of the world, but living in the world and in fact being sent into the world by our Master, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be and make authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Now being in the world but not of the world creates tensions and temptations for us, doesn't it? And how then should we live? Well, I think there are three approaches to living in the two worlds. First of all, there is the approach of being isolated from the world, of isolating from the world. So some Christians say, we're not to be of the world, we're not to love the world, and therefore we isolate ourselves from the world. All of us are living, in a sense, in isolation. Why are we being isolated? Because there is evil out there, there is an evil virus. So what do we do? We do all we can to keep away from the evil virus. We isolate ourselves. We don't have physical contact with others. We keep away from them as far as we can because of evil. And some Christians adopt this in terms of the world. They say, well, James commands us to keep oneself unstained from the world. So some followers of Jesus say, well, the world is evil, people are sinful, and therefore we're going to isolate ourselves. The world is going to hell, it's in darkness, I want nothing to do with it. My focus is on Jesus, my family, my church, my Christian friends, and here I am, and I'm just waiting for Jesus to return. 
But this leads to a problem. This leads to Christians living, in a sense, in Christian ghettos, living in a very safe spiritual cocoon, living, we might say, in a spiritual bubble. It's very safe, it's very comfortable. You're with your family, you're with friends who think the same as you do. You have great Christian fellowship. But people raised in such an environment, they may find it difficult to interact with unbelievers. So the isolationist Christian, his, her impact on the world is minimal. They survive in their own families and in some cases may even farm their own little uh, churches in their homes. I, I've known some people that don't want to send their, uh, their children and their and their teens to, to a church Sunday school or a youth ministry because there, there can be unbelievers there and they might be contaminated by these people who look at things differently. The world is bad. They want nothing to do with it. We see the extreme in the Amish. They isolate themselves. But there are people who are not Amish who still have this mentality of isolation. And there are other Christians who don't set out to live isolated lives from unbelievers, but they're so busy with their church life, their church friends, their church ministry, that in effect, they're isolated from the unbelieving culture. So again, their impact on the world, their impact on the culture is minimal. I think we will agree, I hope you do, that isolation from the non-Christian culture is not what Jesus is teaching in the verses that we read from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. So that's one approach, isolating from the world. The other approach, which is the opposite, is assimilating with the world. Now, this is much more common today. Some uh, professing followers of Jesus got on very, very well with unbelievers at their work, in the community, at school, in the culture generally. And the reason they get on so well with them is that they're just like the unbelieving culture. They have compromised their faith. They have to use the metaphor that Jesus uses here. They have hidden their light. Or they may be authentic believers in Jesus Christ, but they are in effect secret disciples. And they may in fact, if the truth be known, to be ashamed to be followers of Jesus. So they don't want people to know that they're following Jesus Christ. They assimilate. Yes, when they're with believers, they, they know the cliches. They can go through the form. They can sing the hymns. Uh, they can quote the relevant verses. But when they go uh, to their job, to their employment, when they go to the bank, to the hospital, to the school, to the business, they just blend in with the unbelieving world. There's no difference between them and the unbelievers. We see this in some contemporary churches. They just mirror the culture. Instead of being countercultural, which Jesus is teaching, surely in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, instead of being a light on a hill, they are like the world. They attract people by being like the world by copying the world, by mimicking the world, by reflecting the world. That's the response of assimilation. The response of isolation, surely not what Jesus is teaching. The response of assimilation, 
where we live just like the unbelievers and we copy the world and we try to be so cool and so with it and so like the world that we have lost our witness for Christ. Now, neither of these approaches is the right one. We're going to see that the teaching of Jesus is not isolation, it's not assimilation, but it's impacting the world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make a difference in your world for Jesus. Neither assimilation, the light under the basket, nor assimilation, salt losing its saltiness. These are not options, and this is not what Jesus is commanding. It's true we are not to be of the world. However, Jesus commands us to go into the world. Do you ever wonder, as I've done, why once you were saved, Jesus didn't immediately take you to heaven? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, heaven is a place of perfection. No problems there, no sin, no worries, no difficulties, no temptations. Saved and then immediately gone to heaven. You ever ask yourself, why has Jesus left me here after I'm saved? The answer is a simple one, it's an obvious one. We are saved for a purpose, to be and make authentic followers of Jesus. Remember when Jesus called the disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We are saved for a purpose, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, but also to take this glorious message of the gospel to all of the nations, to be salt in the world, to be light in the world. Now, if you notice carefully as we read these verses this morning, Jesus does not say that you should be the salt of the earth. Rather, he says, verse 16, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. First word is you, it's emphatic, you. I'm saying to you today, you, you profess to be following a Jesus, follower of Jesus. You profess to be saved by the grace of God, don't you? Jesus is saying to you, you, whoever you are, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Isn't this wonderful? What is Jesus doing? He's reminding us of our identity. He's reminding us of our purpose. Yes, we first receive the blessings of the Beatitudes. It is essential that we're right internally as we thought, as we looked at the opening verses of Matthew 5. Yes, that we have the values and the characteristics and the attitudes of being a follower of Jesus. That is absolutely fundamental. Ah, but now you've received these blessings. Now what are you to do? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those who are following Jesus, those who acknowledge that Jesus is King, those who are experiencing the blessings of the Beatitudes are the salt of the earth, are the light of the world. And so my dear brothers and sisters, this is not an option for us. We must impact our world for Jesus. Jesus sends us into the world. Now in doing that, be careful. You're not to love the world. You're not to be like the world. 
The world is opposed to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of light is a kingdom of darkness. But you are to go and be salt and light. These are very powerful metaphors, aren't they? Salt and light, we understand them. This is not a difficult passage to understand fundamentally. And as Jesus talks about salt, and as he talks about light, there is the recognition, there is the presupposition that our surrounding culture is polluted, it's corrupt, it needs salt. There's also the assumption that the culture is in darkness. You don't need a light if everything is light. You only need a light when there is darkness. That's the point. So Jesus is commanding us, you're the salt of the earth. Salt permeating the corruption, permeating the decay, impacting the darkness, impacting the evil, because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, the light illuminating the darkness, the evil. What are we doing just now with this crisis? The best scientists and doctors and medical experts all over the world, they're trying to get a cure, trying to get a vaccine to stem the evil so that we could be vaccinated against the evil. Our world is characterized by spiritual and moral darkness. What's the answer? To curse the darkness? No. The answer is, says Jesus, you are the light of, of the world. This is wonderful, isn't it? So neither isolationism or assimilation are viable options. What's the point of having salt if it never comes into contact with the food? What's the point of having a light if it never shines in the darkness? Have you ever thought of this? Here's a little boy. Here's a student. Here's a middle-aged man. Here's an old woman living very different lives, but they're all followers of Jesus. That little boy, that older woman is salt and is light wherever God and his sovereign purposes has placed them. Hear the word of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and the beginning of a message titled, salt and light. We'll return with part two next time. But before then, let me encourage you to visit our website and check out all the biblical resources and opportunities we have available at theverdict.org. One resource we highly recommend is the special booklet that complements this very study on Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. It's called Life in the Kingdom, and it's a booklet from John that focuses on the very practical instruction Jesus gave his followers about how to live each day for the glory and purposes of God's kingdom. So if you'd like to grow in your relationship with God and live each day as an authentic follower of Christ this new year, reach out today and request your free copy of Life in the Kingdom by visiting theverdict.org. We also invite you to partner with us in what God is doing through The Verdict by making a donation of any amount. Your support makes it possible to share God's Word with new listeners in your community and around the world and to continue this gospel ministry throughout the new year. You can easily give whatever amount you feel led to by visiting theverdict.org. 
or send a check in the mail to The Verdict, Care of Calvary Church, 5801 Pineville Matthews Road, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28226. And if you live in Charlotte, we also invite you to join us for Sunday morning worship here at Calvary Church, home of The Verdict, or join us remotely through our live stream online. Again, visit theverdict.org for more details. Now, here's Pastor John Monroe. Well, what's your verdict? How would you describe your relationship to the surrounding culture? Here I am assuming that you are an authentic follower of Jesus. Do you just blend into the culture so that there is little difference between your life and that of an unbeliever? Or are you tempted to retreat into a cozy Christian bubble and remove yourself? Reflect on the teaching of Jesus as neither of these options are right. This week, be salt. Be the light of the world. This is a very intriguing subject, and we're going to continue it next time. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.